God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this uh, first midweek of Lent through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, in that reading from Numbers, you heard about the high priest who was Moses' brother, and his name was Aaron. Very good. And uh, you may have uh, heard about his priestly garment, right? When's the last time uh, you were in Sunday school? Been a few years? Okay. There's Aaron with his priestly garments or vestments. And this must have been a sight, huh? I wonder if the Israelites in the wilderness protested at the elaborate details and the exorbitant expense of making such vestments for Aaron. Did the voters' assembly have to approve the design and the expense? I'll bet. Did they put out for bids to see if someone had a source of pure gold or blue dye that they may come in under budget and put the rest on an LCEF loan? You can just hear the Israelites complain, can't you? I don't know why one priest needs to be dressed in something way more elaborate and costly than, any, costly than anything we make for ourselves. Does Aaron think he's better than us? When my grandkids became priests in Egypt, they had to save up all their money to purchase their own garments. I don't see why we have to use all this gold because tin would look almost just as good for a tenth of the price. Nevertheless, when God commanded what sort of frock Aaron was to be dressed in as he was consecrated as the high priest, his orders were strangely particular. Now, this is only, this little diagram here only has parts of it, the main parts. There, are, everything down to the finest detail is described and instructed by God in the Old Testament. First, there's the ephod, which is kind of the main, uh, that main shell that hangs over the robe. Uh, that's made of gold with two shoulder pieces, each with an engraved onyx stone with six names of the sons of Israel on it. You can imagine how long it took to make all that, right? And it all, it's all joined together with blue and scarlet yarns of fine linen. Second is the breast piece there, seeing hanging on his chest, matching the ephod of gold with blue and scarlet yarns and fine linens with 12 different stones in it, most of which we just guess at when translating. And those, those jewels are set in gold settings and with gold rings to attach it to the ephod. Now that breastplate reminds me of kind of like Darth Vader's breastplate. Except those aren't jewels, those are some kind of buttons or something he pushes. Uh, nevertheless, then there's the robe, all blue, with blue and purple and scarlet pomegranates on the hem, interspersed with golden bells. Next, the engraved gold plate attached with a blue cord to the front of Aaron's turban. Finally, a cloak, the turban, and a sash of fine needlework. All this stuff is meticulously laid out and described for Aaron, for the Israelites to make for Aaron. And he's to wear all this so that when he presides as the high priest in the temple or the tabernacle, the tent at first, 
He does not die. I can't imagine the pressure if, uh, if uh, God said I would die if I didn't wear my stole. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be Israelite high priests. They may get zapped. They don't do something right. It's hard to explain all the spiritual meaning of this apparel. But clothing is unavoidably physical, isn't it? And yet, despite the beauty of, these, uh, of this outfit, of these vestments, no matter how real the priesthood of Aaron and his sons, as well as the Levites, they were merely shadows of something more real, a more permanent priesthood, of a high priest whose, whose service endures eternally. Aaron's vestment, like a pastor's vestments, are a sign of the beauty of the vocation he's been called into, an office that truly doesn't belong to him. He merely stands in between God and his people. The vestments signify signify neither Aaron nor the pastor, but Christ himself. The office of the ministry of Jesus Christ is beautiful because of Christ, not because of anything we do or I do, or anything we make to make it look beautiful. No matter the imperfection, the sin, the laziness, the ineptness of the men in the vocation of the ministry, the office is still beautiful because of Christ. And that's what this is trying to convey to the people. Aaron is no longer the one to intercede between God and man now, though, that Jesus has shown up. Nor am I. But behold the man. There is one to intercede. One who is a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. You've heard that before. And interestingly, we know very little of Melchizedek. He was a very early priest of Israel. The priestly king of righteousness. That's about all we get. Behold the man, though, who also is God who intercedes for men, women, and children before God. Behold God who has come to man and who as man intercedes and prays for people. Did you think about that? We pray all the time. We pray often or we tell each other, pray, I'll pray for you, you pray for me, and so forth. But did you know Jesus prays for us? He prayed for us in the garden, and He still intercedes for us. But who wants an intercessor, a priest, a go-between? A go-between implies you're you're insufficient for the task of getting yourself to God. An intercessor implies that you can't climb the ladder to heaven and plead your own case. That Jesus takes on human flesh to be an eternal priest between man and God implies that you on your own, and me, are not good enough. And that's hard to deal with. You need someone else to take up your case. So behold the man who seeks for God as he ought, whose thoughts are undisturbed in prayer, whose hatred for, or okay, I'll say, whose annoyance with his brother or neighbor, does not interfere with his prayers. 
Who loves God perfectly enough to be able to approach Him in prayer? Who keeps the Sabbath perfectly? Hears the word of God gladly and regularly. Who uses the name of God correctly, never letting slip an oh my God when things don't go according to plan? And calls upon it regularly, as Luther reminds us in the Catechism. Who does that perfectly? Who? Me? Absolutely not. No one. Oh, I heard you gasp. What? <laughs> you know that already, of course. We are sorry excuses for our own priests. So behold the man. Jesus is the perfect high priest. Sinful mankind can't approach a holy God. We need someone to take our place. We need someone to plead our case. Jesus has taken on the same flesh of yours and mine. He will take up our case before his heavenly Father. Behold the man. In Jesus, God has a voice that he can raise before his Father. He has hands he can fold in prayer. He has a head he can bow correctly and reverently. Look at the man who prays perfectly for you. Behold the high priest whose office, whose role is to pray for you. He prays for you without ceasing. Jesus has hands to raise in prayer. He has eyes so that he can lift them up to his heavenly Father. He has lips and vocal cords that can pronounce syllables his Father can hear. This is something the other gods, the lifeless statues and idols of the ancient world could not do. Today, the lifeless idols of money and security, things and stuff, faceless spirituality and aimless philosophies can't utter a word or hear a thing either. Jesus is God who became a man so that he can intercede for mankind. And for what does he pray? Well, he prays for his disciples, prays for his church, he prays for you and me. Because sinners cannot approach a holy God, Jesus intercedes. The only obedient Son of God has taken flesh in order to pray for you, to give voice to your prayers. Since you cannot keep yourself from sin, or my, I can't do it either, we can't keep ourselves from idolatry, from rebellion. Jesus prays that the Father would keep you. That he would keep you in his name, which was put upon you in the waters of your baptism. That he would keep you from the evil one, which we ask in the last petition of the Lord's Prayer. Behold the man who prays for you constantly before his heavenly Father. So, in Jesus, who prays for you without end, you are no longer rebels against your Heavenly Father. You are no longer sinful aliens. You are no longer unable to bend the Father's ear with your petitions. You are in Jesus. And Jesus prays perfectly. Not because you or I pray perfectly, but because you are in Jesus. And He is in you that your prayers are perfect. Because Jesus lifts up his hands perfectly in prayer, so do you. 
Because Jesus lifts up his eyes perfectly in prayer, so do you. Because Jesus' voice is perfectly attuned for prayer to the Heavenly Father, so is yours. Because Jesus is the man who intercedes for the rest of mankind as a man, you and I have hope. You have a Lord who prays for you. You have a man who redeems people, people like you and me. You have the God who became man for you. You have a Savior. You have a man on the cross. So behold the man, the priest, who bids you pray and who prays for you without ceasing. Amen.